The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
Welcome to another edition of Tag the Roll. This is your host, Mark Schindler. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and colleague, Jake Rosen. Jake, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great because Madison somehow dodged the snowstorm that is terrorizing the Midwest, as we talked about before the air. I'm just enjoying some real field temperatures in the negative teens, but no snow. I got to wear my Uggs today, so everything's good. And I'm excited to do our mailbag. It's our first mailbag episode, my yeah. first mailbag episode ever. So let's see. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, no, me too, man. We got a lot of great questions. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. Um, we're going to try and get to a lot of them. We're not going to hit every single one. Uh, there are a bunch that overlap, and we'll, we'll try and hit all those at the same time. Um, we'll definitely do another mailbag at some point. Well, plenty of more mailbags moving forward before the draft actually happens. But again, thank you, everyone, for sending in. Um, Jake, where do you want to get started with this one? Uh, so I was just toggling through the questions. I'm going to pitch one to you first. This okay. is from my good friend back in the DMV, Aaron Proya. And he asked, let me pull up the exact wording of his question. Of course, I lost the Twitter link. Uh, the gist of his question, I'll just give it to you because I remembered off the top of my head. It was, who do you, th- who's shooting mechanics and like by your gut, do you trust is are going to shoot in the NBA, but isn't really shooting a great percentage in college or the G League right now. So basically, who are you betting on based on shooting mechanics, aesthetics, gut feeling, touch, all those other indicators? Oh, man. Um, this is a tough question right off rip. Do you have anybody <laughs> that you would go with here? So I, yeah, I have two. And I, actually, I'll I have give... one in my head now. I think about it, but you go ahead. Okay. So I have two. Tari Eason is my first guy. And the reason for that is he takes an encouraging amount of off the dribble threes and they mm-hmm. look good when he takes them. Energy transformation has is smoother than you'd expect. And he's been making them at a much better clip recently. I also do like his touch on push shots, push shots in the paint short in like short corner area. So Easton is definitely one guy that I'm buying. He's going to shoot long-term. I don't really remember what his three point percentage is off the jump, but yeah, just based on touch and willingness and and all the volume that he's getting off. He was one guy that I was buying. Okay. Yeah. My guy from UE, Patrick Baldwin, um, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Like I know it has not been a great season for him. And honestly, that's in one of our future episodes, we're going to have to go through and talk about him because I do think there's a lot to talk about with his context and how he's looked. Um, But I just, I, I, I'm not trying to be unfair and biased and say like, Oh, I just see it working out for him. But um I'm not really worried about his shot just because we've seen it for so long be an incredible weapon. Like he still gets guarded, of course, like a shooter. Uh, He is a shooter. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. The mechanics are really good. He does it off a high variety and high difficulty. So I'm not very worried about his shot at the next level. I got it. Uh, That was someone I didn't even think about because I completely forgot that his shooting numbers were so bad. Yeah, (laughs) I've just like never really questioned him as a shooter. So definitely agree with that one. The second guy I had was Trevor Keels from Duke, who is sitting at 29% in 18 games. Came into college with the reputation as a shooter. I've seen him go on absolute barrages in high school and AAU. I know the guy who asked this question has definitely seen him go on some barrages back home, but they just shots just haven't fallen this year. Uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe I came in with a little too lofty of expectations, but I definitely think he's a better three-point shooter than 29%. And Sam Bassini, I don't know if 
NBA execs have changed their mind, but I remember I was listening to a pod of his about like a month ago and when they were talking about Keels, the NBA guys, they weren't worried about him shooting either. So I think there is a general consensus on his priors and the his capabilities as a shooter beforehand. And I definitely think for whatever reason, uh, he is a better shooter and I'm buying that long-term. Well, let me ask you a question off this. Uh, where are you at with Paolo? Because Paolo is at 31.8% on the year, I think about three attempts per game. Would you say that's about right, or would you have him higher? Or would, no, would you be more confident higher. in the show? I'm more confident than that. Yeah, me too. Especially considering, like, how he's looked in, in the last couple of weeks, not just shooting-wise, but in general. Like, I, I agree with you. I think he's – like, I don't think he's going to be an elite shooter. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't think he's going to be an elite shooter, but if he shot 34 35% from deep next year, that wouldn't really shock me at all. Um, and he's going to get a lot more catch-and-shoot attempts next year too. So um, – theoretically at least depending on where he's at but yeah. i i agree with so, you i do want to note there are some instances in paulo's catch and shoot where the energy transformation isn't as smooth and it looks a little hitchy i think that is a little inconsistent but there's enough attempts and the mechanics are the same it's just sometimes the transformation and his when he sinks his feet with like a one two to rise up it's not like perfect and you can see it but there are also a lot of other times where it's super clean he steps right into it so I think the 31% for his college sample is pretty, it seems anecdotally correct based on what you see on film, but especially considering the development he's had as a shooter just in a short time over the past couple of years, I'm not sure he'll continue on that same trajectory, which would lead him to be a pretty nuclear shooter. But I definitely think he'll take some marginal steps up and hover around the mid thirties range, as you said. All right. Cool. Well, Unless you have anything else you want to hit on with that, I think we can say thank you to Aaron for the question. Um, I'm trying to think where I want to go next with this. Um, all right. A question from Jonathan Godding. I believe that's how you say it. If it's not, I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. I, I had um, this one too. Yeah. No, was, I thought this was a really good one. Um, in general, how do you, how does your process of taking notes while watching tape look like software categories, long slash short notes? Um, I thought this was a really good question because it's something I thought about writing on on my Patreon because I've had people ask me about this before. Um, and I, I'm glad we can do this because I, not that I think we're special, um, but I like being transparent and just being honest about what we are or aren't doing. Um, I mean, for me, uh, just in terms of watching games too, I, uh, I think the biggest thing I've tried to get to is because uh, I've always struggled with completionism in my life and like feeling like I have to finish everything all the way through no matter what. Um, I've really tried to force myself if I just, if I only have time to watch 20 minutes of a game, then I only watch 20 minutes of a game, but I'm also honest too and say like, yeah, I only saw like one half. Like, I think it's just important. A, I think getting as many reference points as possible when trying to keep track of something is good. Um, being focused while you're doing it, extremely important too. Cause if you're not really paying attention and you have it on the background, yeah, you might catch some stuff. Um, like for me, if I'm watching the NBA and I've seen a team play, you know, 25 times a season already, then, okay, I might just put it on the background and I'll see a couple of things happen, but I'm probably working on other things. Um, as for notes, I have, I don't want to say I've strayed away from taking notes. If I'm doing an individual, like if I'm looking strictly at a prospect or I am watching a game with the intent of evaluating things, then I will take notes. Um, but I also think it's important to you to find time to just like basketball is supposed to be fun, man. So I've tried to work it like I used to carry my notebook with me everywhere to write down shit. And now I've 
I've gone from, I think I filled up like four notebooks, my first like two months of the season. Um, and now I've done like probably two since then. So I think it's good to, to know, um, you know, especially like you're, at least for me, as I take notes, like I need to take less notes later because I think I have those things written down. I have them in my mind. I'm thinking about them. And then, you know, anything that I find later on is just going to be in addition to that. So I think it really just depends too. And the biggest thing that I would say is just try things, you know, be willing to do something different. I don't think that there's any concrete way to do things. I'm always trying to change things up a little bit and figure out what works best for me. Um, yeah, that's where I would go. What, what about you, Jake? So I also had this question as something I wanted to hit. I think it's super fascinating. Everyone's process is different. And I think the way I would say you arrive at that is just trial and error. I've had so I've tried so many things where I'm just like, this doesn't seem optimal. And then you go back to the drawing board and try it again. Uh, for as a for me, the way I do my notes, I do have like a tab for each player, and then each game has its own section of notes. One, I think it's helpful that way because you can it's easy when you're scrolling back and you can like pick out outlier performances and compare and contrast the notes. I also agree with what you said. As the season goes on, I find myself taking less and less notes because things become less noteworthy. In the beginning of the season, volume note taker. Get, put it all on the page and see where it goes from there. But as the season goes on, it's like, okay, I, I kind of know what that is at this point. So I'm going to note down, I guess, noteworthy place, for lack of a better word, yeah. and certain trends if you're picking up on. But definitely as the season goes on, I find myself having – putting less pressure on myself to capture everything in the notes. Uh, the biggest thing or two big, two biggest things that you hit on that I loved one, just separating time to watch basketball and for evaluative stuff. And just for fun, we all love basketball. That's why we do this. And sometimes it can start to feel a little bit too much like a job or like your for you. It is your job for me. It's part, part of, it's a part-time job, but it, that's not why we do it. We don't do it because we feel like it's a job. And so for me, I found like separating time to just go and hang out and watch basketball with my friends and just whether it be college basketball, even guys I'm scouting, it just take some time away, detach your brain a little bit and just watch basketball to enjoy it. I think that's definitely one of the biggest things that I've come across. And then lastly, being focused, uh, I, you feel it when you're watching a game and you're not fully locked in. When I'm checking my phone constantly going back and forth I've even found that clipping things and tweeting kind of derails my focus. So I try to hold that off to the end. It's a huge thing that I've kind of found. I used to just try to clip and tweet throughout the game. Now I kind of just clip everything and then go back after the fact, because then I get sidetracked on Twitter. I, I'm, I get sidetracked very easily. No, is the I feel of the story. So whether that's going on Twitter, going on my phone, I just find that the easiest thing to do is uh, just plug in headphones and kind of lock in for an hour. Or so however long it takes you to watch a game but so many good points that i can echo yeah no definitely man um well jonathan thank you for that question uh jake where do you want to go next with this oh um oh this one really stumped me i don't have an answer for this and i wanted to pose it to you to see if you had an answer because okay. i literally looked at tankathon espn best available for about five to ten minutes and i was just like i i'm gonna have to pick someone but i couldn't find anyone that i was confident NBA Jeremy said, let me find it. Oh, I remember I had this question. Who, think, too. Who, who do you think has the best chance to average 20 points per game from this class that, that you don't think will get drafted in the lottery? So non-lottery oh. players scoring 20 points per game. Please oh, tell me you have someone. This is very hard. Um, I'm looking through right now because I remember I forgot to note this down, but this is like – 
okay, let's let's try and break this down and look at the actual like potential ones. So let's say this is this is I I don't believe this will happen, but if it does, just in terms of looking at somebody who does have the capability of absolutely lighting it up, scoring from an, in, in multiple arrays of ways, if Julian Champagny, if things really hit for him and go right, which I do not think they will. No offense. I'm sorry to our guy, C.T. Fazio. I just like even watching them at Pitt and uh, and and St. John's, like I always thought Justin was more athletic, had more pop that I thought could translate better to the NBA. I really struggled to see that with Julian. And I do think that's going to be an issue for him on the NBA court. Like even watching him now, like he can make some really good rotations, but just the athleticism is really tough for me to, to get there with. Cause he's not like, I mean, same thing as his brother. He's not listed at, he's not actually six, eight, like he's like a pretty quality six, 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 six and a half in shoes. So like um, that's going to be interesting. But again, if he gets to the right context and maybe some things go right from developmentally, I do think it's possible because he is a ridiculous shooter. He's one of the best shooters in the class. He has a wide array of ways to score. Um, So, yeah, I think it's possible. And he's not a complete negative passer either. Like, I do think he's an okay passer, which makes it a little bit easier for him to stick on court too. But um, would you agree with that one or where are you at with that? I think think it's a reasonable, like, hey, this guy does one thing really good. And if it all breaks right and he just continues to do this one thing really good, I – Look, there's no right answer. I genuinely yeah. don't think there is one. <clears throat> Let me see. Uh, it's Blake not Wesley? easy. This is such a good question. Um, what about Blake Wesley? I uh, is Blake a good enough passer to really like? Because all right, so let's be honest. If you're scoring twenty points per game, you're a starter in the NBA. I don't know Do you- if. After watching Blake again recently, I don't know if I can get to a point where I think he's going to be a starter in the NBA. Like, maybe he will. No, I'm not trying to cap him. But... My my point to this question is there is no right answer because it. I would bet a lot of money on it not happening. I'm just looking at which cases do the least amount of unlikely developments have to occur for this to happen. And I think he might have a case there. I have, I have another answer. Which? Oh yeah, Jovic. okay, Jovic. Jovic was was one that I thought of. Um, my other answer was going to be Bryce McGowan's. Um, I that's who I was looking at. I haven't that's watched a ton of Bryce, at. but like the, I mean, that is his thing. Scoring is one hundred percent his thing, and it might be his only thing to a degree. But like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's somebody else I would have to throw out. Um, other than that, like, if, I actually think he'd be my if I had to do one put in one choice i think it'd be bryce mack well yeah Even especially because bryce is super the young, biggest so fan, i feel like but... he's somebody who might go end up going higher like later in the first and gets more opportunities or something but and then absolutely lastly like shout out okay maybe maybe somebody does bet on a small point guard and takes kennedy chandler but um probably probably not he would really have to shoot it um yeah. so appreciate that question jeremy uh how about Let's go with this question from SF Scouting. SFS. I mean, no, it's F, SF Scouting. That's hard to read. Um, thoughts on AJ Griffin's lateral quickness during on-ball defense? Um, we were talking about this uh, recently, and I wanted to bring it up today too. I, especially after watching Duke again over the weekend, I, it doesn't really bother me. Like, I don't think it's. I don't think it's good per se. Like, I think he's a pretty average lateral mover. Um, 
he takes some pretty choppy steps. His feet can look a little bit flat, but um, I don't really think I would qualify him as a like a negative lateral guy. Or where are you at with that? Yeah, I don't think it's it's something not my biggest flaw with him in general. Like, like you said, I don't think it's good, and he's a big-bodied, strong, bigger wing. So I don't think it's his strength, but I don't think it's detrimental by any means. I we. I was I wasn't surprised when I got that question, but it was I was like, oh, what am I missing here? Like maybe it, did, did I not catch something? And I know he can be inconsistent at the point of attack, but I don't think he's necessarily bad there. Yeah. Or I, like laterally, I don't think it's detrimental to his case as a prospect. So I think it's worth noting. I think all of his defense, I need a little bit more time to parse out and just see where I land on it, on ball and off ball. I think his off but ball's better right now than his on ball. Yeah. No, I'd agree. Uh, but right now, on what, February 3rd, uh, I, I'm not too comfortable saying it's one or the other. But in just in terms of lateral quickness stuff, it doesn't – I'm not running and raving about it and writing home about how good it is, but I'm also not hitting a panic button saying, oh, this is something we really need to be concerned about, if that makes sense. Kind Can of I throw there. a quick rant in? Um, and I, I don't mean this as like a shout to our guy who asked this. I appreciate you asking the question. This is something that I've gotten more comfortable with understanding uh, recently. Um, especially too, for somebody who is not a good technique defender, like AJ Griffin, like, I think, uh, we can extrapolate it a little bit more. Like, um, for me, when I watched Scotty Barnes play last year, I think he got the, uh, he got the switchable forward, um, super laterally quick, uh, moniker a lot. Um, and I don't mean to like be unfair to those people who did, but, I think that was one of the cases where you have to watch guys. How are they using their length? Because especially for somebody like AJ, who does have a plus wingspan, like a definite plus wingspan, like guys like Scotty. Um, if you're a guy like Scotty, who even if you don't have awesome lateral quickness, um, I mean, having a seven four wingspan and knowing how to use it and and being assertive, like he could make it look like he was incredibly good laterally. Like um, having the capability of using your full body and your full wingspan can make it look like you're a little bit better at something if you're not like fully, I don't want to say that you don't understand how to watch things, but I know I used to look at things differently. Like, Oh yeah, that guy's good laterally. Like a lot of times it's just, do guys use their hands and their feet together? That's like the biggest thing that I see for a lot of guys coming into the NBA and are still figuring out, figuring out at the next level. Can you use your hands and feet to defend? Because that's how you become a better defender. Uh, right now to me, AJ is not great at using his hands. And I think once he starts using his wingspan and his full body, especially at the point of attack, like we've talked about, like I'm not really too worried about his lateral quickness. So can I continue the AJ Griffin stuff with yeah. a, another question? Mm -hmm. So from Caleb Slayton, what do you need to see from AJ Griffin to bump him into the top three? Also your thoughts on Shaden Sharp. Have you seen Shaden at all? I've seen a little bit of EYBL from two years ago. So not, I, I don't have anything that I can confidently go off of other than like what kind of athlete he is and like the idea of Shaden Sharp. Like, I mean, okay. I'll just give you, I can like, talk me, about him a little like, bit. Shaden's like, to me, at least in, in my opinion, like not really a bigger, faster, stronger athlete, like your typical athlete, but crazy stride length guy who can generate immense amounts of space. Like that's kind of the idea behind him. Yeah. I can add, I can add some more stuff on Shaden yeah. after. I, we, let's do the AJ Griffin stuff. Okay. To bump him into the top three, what would you personally need to see? Uh, I mean, his passing just takes a random leap out of nowhere. Um, 
like I did, that's why I couldn't have him there. Like, I, I think I'm really interested in AJ because like we've talked about the, the footwork and the scoring is ridiculous. Um, incredibly, incredibly effective and efficient. I think he's going to be a good defender in the NBA or at least a fine defender. So I'm not worried about that, but um, like Ivy has had really good passing flashes, even if they're not perfect, like, especially in the open court, you see it. And he's going to put immense amounts of pressure on the rim, which AJ is not doing right now. Um, Paolo is, I mean, he's just about like, he's one of the best passes one of, if not the best passes in the class on top of like, you know, when you actually put in his ability to impact the defense with his gravity as a scorer, um, I don't see a way to put AJ above him. Chet, we've talked at length about Chet and where we're at with him. I don't see a world in which AJ hits a point where he's above any of the top three guys. Like, I do think, like, to me, Jabari is a guy with some of the similar drawbacks as AJ, maybe. Like, uh, not not same drawbacks, but maybe the wrong way to look at it. But, like, you're looking at a sort of similar archetype, but Jabari's bigger, um, better shooter. Like, I just – I'm not in a place where I think he's going to go up above any of the top four guys for me. Yeah, I'd agree. Because I actually – I would have – I'd probably have AJ below Johnny Davis right now. And I'd agree on – so right now, I'd have AJ above Johnny. Still think Johnny's very good. But I'd have AJ – if Sharp stays in, which I don't think he will, but if Sharp stays in for that number three spot right now, I'd probably have Sharp, AJ, Jabari, and Ivy all in contention. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jabari and Ivy with – I don't know how I'd stack them up against Shane, but those two ahead – and what we need to see from AJ, you hit on the playmaking. Absolutely. That would be a big thing for me. I don't really know how realistic that is, especially midseason. Yeah. But that would be a huge development. And self-created room attempts. That was a big thing for me as well. Uh, we know the shot creations there. He's an incredible shooter. Maybe the best shooter in the class. Him and Jabari, I think, could duke that one out. Different shoot, different types of shooters, obviously. But if um, if you're buying AJ top three, you're not necessarily just buying him as an off-ball scalable wing. You think yeah, you're buying he him could as a take on, guy, and I don't see. Yeah, that right you're now. buying him as, yeah, you're buying him as someone who could handle a lot of usage. I don't know if I'd like all the way to primary for him to net that value, but definitely someone who is going to handle the ball and have the ball in his hands. And if we're talking about him not being a plus passer, and like I think he needs to make up that ground getting to the rim and using those tools to get to the rim. Just some quick numbers. His assisted, of course, I lost it, um, on Bart. His assisted is, I think, he's, so he's shooting really well at the rim. He's shooting 75 or 76% in at the rim, but it's in 21 games. Obviously, he's only playing 50% of the minutes, so that's a little, it's a little inflated, but that's including transition. So he does not gain to the rim a ton, but when he is getting there, he's converting. But 54% of his sh- – shots are assisted at the at the rim which when you stack that up against i keep referencing this 2020 sheet i did because i didn't do it for 2020 2021 but the guys in that range in the 2020 class that you're giving the rim assisted numbers talking about reggie perry jeremiah robinson Arnold, daniel turu killian tilly mark vital caleb wesson josh green uh, that's basically everyone from uh, mommy diakite and oscar shibway so that's everyone from 52% to like 56%. And he's in the middle there. That is not a wing group. That is a big man group. That's not someone I'm entrusting with the ball to be a primary or a secondary per se. 
a lot of that is in part to his really good cutting. So you're going to be like, oh, Jake, you can't have it every which way. You can't beg him to be a good cutter and also tell him to get to the rim. Well, I'm just saying him being a cutter doesn't necessarily mean he can't also get to the rim when he does have the ball. When he does have the ball, it's a lot of mid-range pull-ups and floaters, which is fine. I know he's a very good scorer and a very good shooter, but I would like to see more self-created rim attempts to go along with the off-ball stuff. It's my long-winded. It's kind of funny to me because uh, I, I know like we're, we try and be pretty careful with comps, but to me, like AJ is a lot like TJ Warren to me in terms of that guy who is uh, his handles not really there, but he has a ton. Like, I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's the most gifted scorer in the, in the, in the class, in my opinion. Like, I don't really think it's not, not that it's not close. Like Powell is ridiculous, but a lot of that's because of the ball skills he has too. But like in terms of just pure ability to get a shot off, anywhere and come off screens and do it like I mean AJ's right there um but again like he, they're they're still slightly different players but you see some of the same issues that TJ has had like he has never been a plus passer in his career and that has hampered him from being able to to hit some of the places that he did and just like this is not me trying to like totally shoot down everything but like the closest we've seen TJ Warren get to to being that uh like a a guy who was handling primary reps or a lot of ball screens in the NBA was in the bubble when he absolutely went off and went from shooting, you know, four threes a game to eight and a half and canning. I think he hit more pull up threes in the bubble than he did the entire year leading up to it. Like there, it's just, it's very difficult to hit that level um, of usage and do it effectively while impacting the offense um, in a positive way. Um, So yeah, that's just to, to better understand why I'm probably, why we're not there yet, but Appreciate the question a ton. Um, I'm trying to think where I want to go with this next. Oh, okay. I like this question a lot from Aiden Kunst because I want to talk ah, about yes. this one because I love watching Let's Purdue. Go. Has Sasha Stefanovich played his way into a two-way summer league range? He's been elite for Purdue this year. Jake, where are you at with this one? Because I, I have answers. This question was on my list, and the answer is absolutely. I replied to – a good friend, Eric Shapiro, we, he was in my DMs talking, or in my replies, talking about how impressive Stefanovic, his release was. He had a ridiculous three. I watched the Purdue, who do they play? Oh, Ohio State, Purdue, Ohio State game. Stefanovic had a no dip corner three that was an and one. Literally one of the quicker awesome. releases I did see I've you clip that. ever that seen. The, the audacity to take a no dip three in a game like we're talking about the the most when it's not your shot when if, if that's your form that's your form but you're like yeah i'm gonna toy around and not dip this ball it is so difficult only the best of the best are gonna do it and to can that with the foul pretty much summed it up he also had another like he did goofy like scoop in that game when he got run off the line he's just constantly been opening my eyes a little bit i'm not sure how much i'm really like buying him as oh this is an nba guy but in terms of a two-way or summer league invite absolutely no question about it yeah no he's a for sure udfa guy for me like i i think that's pretty easy like uh just the the backtrack since his sophomore year at purdue when he started playing heavy minutes 175 of 437 for 40% from three. Like he is legit. He's doing stuff off movement he can do stuff off pull-ups which that's not going to be his projection in the nba but like you mentioned, the quick release, like Dakota Mathias had a cup of coffee in the NBA and Sasha Stefanovic is like Dakota Mathias on steroids as a shooter. So I, I see that very much so as a, as a possibility for him. And he has like decent enough size too. 
and some passing chops. So like I I I see it. Like I don't I don't think that's outlandish at all. And he's been very good to me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm actually very happy this is a question because I wanted to talk about him on our next podcast regardless. So shout out to Adrian. Nice. Um, well, keeping it in theme with Purdue, um, who asked this question? Okay, from Purdue, Purdue to basketball analysis. Has Edie become a legit draft prospect this year? Would staying another year help him improve his draft stock? Um, I actually did find – I know you you might not think this is an interesting question. I think it's interesting. I uh, I do think Zach Edie is a, and is, is a draftable prospect. Um, I do think we're seeing that a little bit with, like, he's been put in the 50s on boards, which means agents and scouts are talking about him there. Um, I'm not saying that I would necessarily draft him, but I do think, like, he's going to get – some of the well he's just another purdue big um scheme out from from being drafted but i i sent this to our group chat earlier in the year and like i mean he's the best big in terms of actual nba viability to me that purdue has had under matt painter um at least in the recent stretch where they've been really good like he's a better mover he's better he's more mobile than isaac well i'm I mean, my grandma, who's 96, is more mobile than Isaac Haas. But like, I mean, can I check you real quick? Yeah. Can I? Can we? Who are we? Go, who are we comparing this to? We're. To, I'm assuming we're leaving Trevion out of this equation. Oh yeah. I mean, like the three. actual like full on fives. Who so are like the giant. So we're talking three. about Isaac Haas, AJ and Hammonds, Caleb Swanigan, and AJ Hammonds. Uh, no, I'm not putting Swan. Swanigan wasn't really a five to me. Like, I mean, he played at the four at Purdue, so it's like. Can and I Matt Harms. Okay, and Matt Harms. Can yeah. I spell out low low bar to clear? Okay, you? yeah, that's a little bar to clear. But <laughs> I'm saying, like, AJ Hammonds played in the NBA. He played in the G League for a long time. Uh, I think he's still playing in the G League, actually. Isaac Haas made it to the NBA, played a few games, has played in the G League. Like, I do think Zach is a more capable, like, of fitting into mo- the modern NBA. Um, again, I'm not saying that I think he's, like, a guy who should go in the first round or anything like that. I would recommend, like, personally, I think you should go back to school um, just because there's an opportunity where maybe he pops even more next year at Purdue. And yeah. But my point is just, like, I do think Zach is, like, a legitimately good player and has – not that you think he's bad, but um, I I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he gets drafted. I would not draft him. But well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying sure. we might not I'm draft sure. him, but I do think he is a draft-worthy candidate, and that was the question. So, okay. um where do you want to go next with this? All right, I have a I have a good question. I think this is what we've been getting at. We've got at it a couple times on the show. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time on. When we were talking about Kennedy Chandler, Seagram Sports. What are the common concerns around prospects build as jumbo initiators or point guards, and who are some viable options in the twenty twenty two draft? So, I'll. It's the processing. This draft just doesn't have high-end processors that I, I'm going to entrust with the ball. And even the ones who aren't, I'm willing to put aside high-end processing if you have other ways of compensating and opening up passing windows. We've seen guys do it who aren't become – like who aren't the most crazy processors, some like Darius Garland, who you know people were lower on his passing coming out of college because he wasn't manipulating the defense, but he is a ridiculous ball handler who is super quick and – decimates the defense and knows how to play with the role man and has two really damn good role men. So there, I think there are other ways to compensate it, but even the guards like a Kennedy or a tie tie, they're not necessarily good enough at drawing the defense or generating easy paint touches. 
Ken, or Kenny's better, but he's not, he doesn't have the scoring that Ty Ty does. Ty Ty's the scoring, but he doesn't break down the defenses. So I think Ty Ty is like, we talked about him being an under, like I'm finally coming around on him, but that's not as a primary. So for me, I'd say the, the lack of primary stuff is directly tailored to the processing that we just don't really have in this class. Yeah. Um, as far as jumbo initiators too, like I think to me it'd be more about looking at handles. Like, do they actually have the handle to to make things happen? Um, I think is a really important thing to look at because again, like we've talked about, like there are moments, especially in college, where a guy can look extremely overwhelming with burst and power, but they don't really have the handle to make things happen. Like I wrote about Io Desumu yesterday. Um, and he's averaging six and a half assists a game right now since he started for the Bulls, but a lot of it, like I think he still only has 14 or 15% usage because like part of it is like you talked about, like he is a ridiculously quick processor and he sees things quickly and he makes good decisions, but like it's taken a lot of inventiveness from Billy Donovan and the bulls to really find ways to let him uh, get the most out of his burst without his handle limiting it. And that is very hard to do. Like when you're six, eight or six, nine, and you don't have the burst or you don't have the handle. Um, I think it's easier probably how oh, I can't really say that for sure. Cause it goes both ways to, to get by with burst or to get by with the handle. Like the handle is probably the most important part, but you can, there are guys who definitely get by with burst, but um, I would say that's the biggest thing. Um, also shooting too. Cause like, if you can't shoot from behind a screen, then it doesn't really entirely matter if you're an initiator in the NBA because of how important uh, pick and roll is in the half court. Like we've seen that for Ben Simmons, like as good as Ben Simmons is, he can't really run that much pick and roll. Like they, they still ran a decent amount in Philly, but the success of it is largely hampered because teams just go on around him. But I mean, he's 6'10", has a really good handle and a ton of burst. So that's like even a guy who's in like the 95th whatever percentile on the margins has trouble making that work. So like that's where I would go with looking at jumbo initiators since you hit on guards. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think I do want to make something very clear. Playmaking or passing ability does not equal playmaking equity. And I think yeah. we can, we've both, like we've both harped on this a lot is that if you're getting easy pain touches, you're collapsing defense, the windows are easier versus as someone like Lonzo ball, like Lonzo ball is probably one of the most talented passers, but it's just the windows aren't there for him at all times because of hampered by whatever handle, whatever, whatever we want. We don't need to go to that rabbit hole, but everything. He's yeah. just a, a, yeah. A frequent example I like to come back to is that Lonzo ball is similar, carries similar equity to other players that are far below him as quote unquote passers because of windows and time, whatever we've done the whole spiel before. But to me, the lack of high end processing, I think, or just, and just like, making things easy. That was the thing with Sharif Cooper all of last year. It's just like this dude just is routinely tearing up power five defenses and it looks repeatable. It looks, it looks consistent and it doesn't look like a one-off. It looks like he could just do this every time down if he wanted to. And that's what to me I'm looking for in a future quote unquote primary. I also don't want to get too hung up on the word, but I think we're both in lockstep that there are just too many flaws with most of these prospects. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, moving on to another question from our guy, Nikias Duncan at Nikias NBA. Are there any UConn prospects that intrigue you? You are goddamn right. There are. Let's talk about them, Jake. Uh, if you had to rank the UConn prospects, how would you do it? 
Oof. Ugh. Hawkins first, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, are who who are we operate? What are we operating under? That who are the prospects? Well, okay, people who could play in the NBA. I'll say people that could play in the NBA. That I here's the thing. I'm trying to find the nicest way possible to say that the only. A UConn Husky prospect that I am intrigued by is Jordan Hawkins. I've never oh, okay. We're really definitely defer on that. I um, are you uh, this? Is this Andre Jackson? Probably? I like Andre Jackson a lot. Yeah, he's not perfect, but like he's somebody who I think if he went to the right place, like low key, if Andre Jackson went to the Miami Heat, Jesus Christ, that would be amazing. Um, I think he's somebody. Just saying, he's a jumper away is so rudimentary and bullshit, but like. Literally, if he is just getting guarded as a shooter, and I do think he has the touch to be a shooter, he's, I mean, he's taken one and a half a game shooting 47%. That doesn't really mean anything to me. But, like, he's the guy that, and we'll we'll talk about this slightly differently in a, in a couple more questions, but, like, there are guys who I think get billed as, as well, if they shoot, but they really don't have the uh, – the indicators or the priors to to say that that's a real viability with Andre. I do think that is he's a really good passer. Um, like he's only averaging 2.8 assists per game. That totally undersells what he does. Um, he's got legitimate size, fantastic, fantastic athlete. Um, really good defensively. Like I buy Andre Jackson. I would take him in the top 40. Um, I'm there with him. Hawkins is interesting and I like I'm there with you too like but I think he's more of a next year guy because he he really oh, yeah, broke... I don't oh okay All right, so, I wait, you... this. Andre Jackson's a so Andre Jackson's a, tw- a, a this year guy to you I think he could go this year yeah I would be cool with him going this year like I think he's he's definitely there for me you might disagree yeah. with that which is totally fine yeah. um no like to me, I would be like if if we're in like with with how this draft is, I'm willing. Like if if he's there, I would take him in the top 45. Like I don't I don't mind that at all. Um, other guy that I'll hit on too. You definitely disagree with me on this. I buy Adama Sonogo as an NBA guy. Um, he's got he, he like I like him better. I I came into the year liking Shibwe more. I buy Adama Sonogo as somebody who, in terms of that guy who can run DHOs be more of a rim roller. I think he's got some coverage versatility on defense because he's pretty solid. Mo- like he's got good mobility. Like he is a little bit undersized. I think he's about six, nine, but it's a big wingspan plays incredibly strong, very good rebounder. Um, he actually gave Auburn absolute hell. And I think that that's Auburn's only loss of the season right now. If I remember correctly, yeah. yep. like he was fantastic in that game. I see it with him. He is going to have some limitations as a scorer in the NBA, but he has uh I, I do believe he's an NBA guy. He might not get drafted, but I do think he's somebody who's going to have an opportunity to play in the NBA. But, yeah, so it would be Jackson, Hawkins, Sudogo for me. So Jackson's a t- – you were taking the top 40 of this class? Yeah, I think so. In theory? Okay. I like uh, – but I, I like him a lot in terms of what he brings. Like, to me, he's like kind of what I saw at a TSJ last year just with a little bit less of the self-creation ability. Okay. All right. I got it. Um, all right. So let me try to find one. Oh, this was a good one. Um, Ben Ostrow on, let me find it. Who are some guys that you think are flying under the radar on a lot of people's boards that would rise up later in the cycle? Do you have anyone off the top of your head? That are flying under the radar. 
Uh, this is a good question. Um, I mean, I'm just going to be – I feel like – I think Bryce McGowan is going to be somebody who rises late. Like, because he's young, so he's he's got the scoring profile. Like, that's definitely something that teams are going to be really intrigued by. And I, I just have a feeling he's going to test really well when he's um, actually doing the combine stuff. And I, I would imagine he's going to rise. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So, I had three people that I was looking at. He was one of them. And then I had, like, a fake cop-out answer because – People on Twitter seem to be very high on him, me included. But in the mainstream, he is still 39th on ESPN's board. That's Jeremy Sohan. Uh, I think that's kind of a no-brainer. Young, producing, smart, can, uh, coverage ver- like can play the four, guard the perimeter, smart defender, has some, some ball skills that are budding. I just think that's a dude that, as we get later in conference play, is going to rise up mainstream stuff. And Max Christie, I, I think when it's all said and done, He's really starting to find his way as a shooter. I still want, find myself wanting more uh, off the ball. I mean, on the ball. I'm not the biggest fan of the on-the-ball process. It, it's a lot of pull-ups, and they seem premeditated to me. But it's hard not to get intrigued with his size off as, like, an off-guard who can shoot. The defense has been pretty good to me. Um, he's sitting at 41 right now on ESPN stuff. I don't know how – much he can rise, but he kind of strikes me as someone that if he keeps shooting the ball the way he does, he's going to get in a workout, shoot the cover off the ball, and uh, maybe go to the top 25. Yeah. Um, so I have a guy that we've talked about a little bit, and that's Malachi Branham for me. Um, I think, you know, we talked, I'm not trying to hit my own drum, but we talked about him our very first podcast. Um, after not having a single double digit performance in the entire first month and a half of the college season, Um, he came back after Ohio state had two weeks off and had a 35 point outing, uh, since then, like just in January, 16 points per game, five boards to assist. He's got a really smooth shot. He's got some ability to get to the, get to the rim off of, you know, off screens, um, really factors in as a, as a kind of prototypical guard, uh, two guard. Like he's like, I believe he's listed as six, five. He looks actually six, five, um, I need to do more of a deep dive on him than I already have. Um, but I think like just we've heard some buzz already, I think, that indicates he might end up going this this season. Um, that one's like it actually could be kind of wild if he if he ended up somehow like uh, going over Max Christie because he plays that well um, to close out the year. It's entirely possible. He just played it. He balled out against Purdue, man. He looked very good. He was really good. Um, very good. Oh, against Purdue. I do think he's somebody who's going to rise up boards. Uh, I'm trying to think who else, if I would have anybody else that I think is going to rise up boards. I still think Ryan Rollins as Leo needs to be on boards. I, I don't, uh, I think I've started to convert some people, but like this dude is a legit, very good prospect, um, who I think should probably leave this year. Um, he's excelled in every single category that I expected him to after his freshman year. Uh, if he were doing this, like if he were doing what he were doing at a high major, like he would be getting much more buzz. Uh, Toledo's having their best season uh, just about ever. And a lot, of, a lot of that is because of him. So I would just encourage people who haven't watched Ryan Rollins to go watch him. I do think he's going to be an NBA player sooner rather than later. So uh, figure it out. <laughs> do you have anybody else you'd want to hit on? No, I think that was, I think that was probably it for that question. Okay. Um, there are two more that I really want to hit on for sure. Number one, uh, do you have any thoughts on Walker Kessler? Because I'm trying to I remember not, who put it out, but I know that was a that was a question that we got. Um, 
I do have I thoughts have, on Walker so, Kessler. Yeah, oh, sorry, you go, go ahead. ahead. No, um, I haven't. I, <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. I so I haven't circled back to Auburn like film wise in a bit, but they're on my tab. So you go ahead on Walker Kessler, and I'm going to circle back with thoughts in a week or two. Okay, this is from our guy at Magic Vagberg, um, elite shit poster, fantastic person too. Walker Kessler <laughs> thoughts. Um, I have come around on Walker Kessler a little bit. Um, I was pretty down on him earlier this year. Um, I still have some questions. Like to me, he is not a guy that I personally think I would be interested in taking in the first round, but I am starting to understand why people are there. Um, I think my thing with him is like, and I'm not meaning this to dog him, but uh, like I talked a little bit about with Andre Jackson earlier, he's a guy who I can see projecting as being a real viable shooter in the NBA. And that is like the one thing he really needs to improve. To me, Walker Kessler is getting a lot of billing as a potential shooter in the NBA. And I get it. He's taking some shots at Auburn. He shot well, um, I think one or two seasons uh, in, in AAU or when he was playing at high school, high school in Georgia. Um I just struggle to get there with his shot. Um, I understand like that. It's like, I don't know. I'm not trying to sound like good for them, but I don't know. I just don't really think he has the indicators to be a shooter. I don't really buy his shot that much. I think there are moments where it can look okay, but um, I don't think it's ever going to be at a level where the defenses are going to care about it. To me, if he were taking more things from mid range or just doing anything that was a jumper inside the arc, I would be interested. I would be a little bit more interested. I think he's taken like seven jumpers inside the arc this year. And that's not everything. Like, I do think that he could become a shooter in the NBA, but my problem is just okay, his shot is really slow. I do think it could be like changed up mechanically. Um, like, there's definitely a world where he gets to being a league average shooter, but my point is, do defenses care? I don't think defenses are going to care because he doesn't really have the ability to put the ball on the deck. Um, so I just can't really get there. Like, unless he's a guy who's shooting seven or eight threes per game, like, and I don't mean to make this everything about like teams that I've covered, but Miles Turner came out with a much better shooting profile and it took him six years of being in the NBA for defenses to fully give a shit about him being a shooter. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. Like, I do think we see guys who are six, 11, seven foot, who shoot and we're like, oh, they're going to be able to bend a defense. And in reality, like that just isn't always the case. Like Mo Bamba is a pretty good NBA shooter. He shoots around league league average on decent volume right now. And the def defense do not sell out to stop him. Like he's, unless the shot goes in, he's not impacting the defense and it doesn't go in quite enough to really matter. So I think to me, we just need to reframe a little bit how we look at big shooters and how we talk about like what shooting indicators are and more like, can this guy, maybe they have indicators to shoot, but is it going to be enough to actually matter? And it's not me trying to shit on Walker Kessler. Like the defense stuff is very real. Like he has incredible length. I do have questions about his reaction time. Um, like I feel like he gets a lot of blocks because he's big and long and playing against college players. But that's anybody who's seven feet tall in college. Like he does have very legitimate, intriguing mobility and and length that I could understand putting him in the first round. But um, I just really do have holdups with the offense outside of being a lob threat and playing out of the dunker spot. Um, so. Um, but yes, that's, that's where I'm at with him. I know it was a really long rant. Hopefully that was not harsh, but, um, that's where I'm at with him right now. Yeah. I unfortunately don't have anything to add. You're just hanging I, out the dry here. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I was brainstorming a couple questions. These weren't necessarily listener. I don't know if this is like breaking the rules of mailbag questions. No, you can ask I have no two questions, questions for you. 
two questions uh, that I'm very curious to get your answer on. One of them is which prospect have you cooled on the most since the beginning of the year? Uh, like kind of readjusted your expectations and, oh, this is no longer a mid-lottery guy or whatever it, it is. So that was the first part. And the second question is, who is your favorite prospect or prospects to watch outside of your top two tiers? So like the top four and then AJ and Johnny, because I feel like we do a lot of talking about them. So yeah. ta- tackle those questions as you will. Okay. So first question for me that I've cooled on the most. Um Really good question. Uh, damn, I'm looking. I'm looking at Tankathon right now to say who have I cooled down on the most. I can go. I can go and give mine. Okay, yeah. Who's you yours? Wendell Moore. Is <laughs> that's it's just like I think it's just a jack of all trades, master of none situation. I like the shooting is cooled off a little bit he passes up a lot of them not a high volume shooter off the bounce or off the catch the passing i think i overestimated it a little bit in in like initially he misses some high level reads of pick and roll and he's capable as a wing passer but not enough to really move the needle Uh, he's crafty as a finisher but i don't think it's crafty enough to overcompensate for the athletic deficiencies and the defense well, I think he has some good moments at point of attack. He gets back cut. And I think you, this is what yeah. you've been saying for a couple of months now. He gets back cut a lot. And mm-hmm. that's something that's been evident in my past couple of viewings of Duke. So that is someone why I think he is a good college player and, and made an encouraging leap. I, I just don't really see him doing anything. Or I don't I hate to, I don't want to say I don't see him doing anything well at an NBA level because that means I'm like looking for an NBA skill, which I'm not. Actually, it's actually the opposite. I just think he just doesn't clear enough thresholds and bars or bring enough value. I think it's just, oh, this is theoretically interesting. But for someone who's small wing sized, I just don't think he's good enough for lack of better words. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he has really struggled with AJ Griffin's emergence Um, and, and him coming to the starting lineup. There's been like a direct coincidence with him, uh, his role decreasing. It hasn't even necessarily like he's cooled off a little bit from the field, but I mean, he's still shooting like almost 40% from three, um, albeit like you mentioned on low volume, I think he's only taking three a game. Um, but yeah, it's really hurt. Like he was in the national player of the year conversation yeah. in early December. And now he's completely out of it for the most part, because AJ's in the starting lineup. That's taken a lot of his shots away. Um, I still am very interested in him. I would agree. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not where I was on him. Like, I still think he's probably like 25 to 30 for me. He's a guy who I think is really gonna have to shoot at the next level, um, to get the most out of his value. I still like, especially for his role, I believe in him as a passer and just like making the right reads and, and reading and reacting. But I agree with you. Like there's a lot of stuff left to tighten up at the NBA, but part of that I, I do think is possible, but I agree. I definitely have cooled on him a little bit. Um, guy that I have cooled on the most is, this is a tough question, man. And I don't mean this in like a mean way. Uh, I kind of, I kind of want to say, ah, dude, this is very tough. Like, I'll probably say Yannick and Souza. Like, I, I remember when we first yeah. talked before the season started, I had I had Souza in the lottery. Um, mm. I, I'm not sure where I'd have him now, but he's definitely dropped for me. I mean, my dear, sweet, beloved Rocco Precaution uh, is like, I mean, I went from hoping still, like, that he would make some strides in, uh, you know, going back for another year to Chibona, and it's been kind of the opposite for him. 
which has really disappointed me. Like he's looked from somebody who still should have been a first round pick, even if it was a little bit later this year to like scraping by to be in the second round right now, um, which is rough. Um, I don't really think there's anybody else that I, I want to add to that for sure. Uh, okay. This hurts a lot. Uh, Andre Corbello too, probably. Uh, um, yeah. It's really tough because he's missed so much time with the concussion earlier in the year. Um, but even then, like he is, I don't want to say they've been bad, but he has not been particularly awesome. So um, I would probably have to put him up there, unfortunately. Um, like he's only played three games since uh, mid-January. So he had like one really good game this Purdue, but outside that it's been a little bit of a struggle for him. So, um, and he's not even starting. He's still playing behind Alfonso Plummer, who has been awesome to be honest. So uh, yeah, that would be, those would be my, my three. Fair enough. Um, second question, favorite non top four AJ Johnny guy to watch. I mean, it's easy to say Trevion Williams because Trevion's so fun to watch. And I just love watching Purdue in general. Like Purdue is, uh, I guess that's kind of cheating because Jaden's up there. But like, I just enjoy watching the way Purdue plays basketball. Their offense is so dynamic and fun. Um, who else? I mean, I, I enjoy watching Tari play a lot because LSU yeah, is he was up there for me. I love watching defense, and LSU's defense is so good. Um. I mean, I like watching Jabari Walker play a lot too, even though Colorado is kind of eh. But I will Stinky. say too, Stinky. okay, I freaking like my probably this is, I think my favorite player to watch in the country right now is Jaden Shackelford. I love watching Jaden oh, Shackelford play. Good I love call. Alabama. Good call. And Jaden Shackelford is good. That's somebody else. That's that's another person I'll put up. I think Jaden Shackelford should be on your top 60, my column. Jaden Shackelford is good, man. Like he is going to be an NBA player. Yeah, he's fun. He's really fun. I he's one of, if not the most audacious shooter in the country, which I can for like a real team and and whose shots are really moving the needle in high magnitude situations. And I love it. It's awesome. He's really fun to watch. Wasn't who I had in mind though. The answer I had in mind, so I'm gonna give Jeremy Sohan. We've talked about him a little bit. I'm gonna give him a nod here just because I love what he does on defense and the ball skills are really enticing. But the guy who – it's crazy because if you would have told me after the Champions Classic that this would be my answer in February of the guy I've thoroughly enjoyed do it, watching the most and clearly I've done a big 180 on, Ty Ty Washington's awesome to watch. And, like, I shouldn't like it. It's not the type of guy that I typically de delve all the way into, but you have to move the goalpost sometimes. And I feel like – I just use that term the complete wrong way. So <laughs> you did use that, that term the complete wrong way, but we'll use it, we'll use it in a positive context, yeah. We'll say you need to adjust your expectations, not move the goalposts. Um, I just tried to do a positive spin on a negative <laughs> saying. You tried. Whatever. You tried really hard. Ty <laughs> Ty, um, I just shouldn't like it as much as it is. He doesn't get to the rim. He's a poor athlete. The passing is good, but it's not great. But he might be a potential special pull-up shooter. And like, that's kind of what I'm hanging my hat on is he has real space creation stuff in the mid range. He is great spatial awareness when to read and when to pull up. It's not, it's not premeditated stuff. Like that's going back to my issues with Christy. Like Christy, it's like, he is in his mind. It's like, I'm taking this one to two drill pull up and he doesn't react to the defense. Ty Ty reacts to the defense and he 
is really good at taking the space to give him. If you play drop against him, you're cooked. Uh, he's going to fry you. And whether that's hitting you with a pull-up or forcing you and luring you out to, to contest his pull-up and then hitting roll, him and Oscar in the pick and roll has been one of my favorite things to watch in in all of college basketball. So I'm going to say Ty Ty. Give it, I, he's been taking more threes a little bit recently. Hasn't been great since he came back from the ankle injury, but it's kind of to be expected for someone who wins with craft and is a guard who isn't the burstiest guy. Um, it's going to be a little patient, but yeah, thoroughly enjoyed watching Ty Ty play. Yeah, um, I can get there too, especially too. Like his defense is fun. Um, he was, uh, yeah, before he got hurt, he was fun against Auburn defensively um, in that game. Yeah, I would be there with that. Uh, all right. So next question, um, we got like one or two more that we want to get to. Um, this next one is more of like we're pulling a bunch of questions together for this one uh, because we've gotten a lot of questions about this just in general, not even just uh, for the mailbag. Um, it's about pre-drafting. Uh, and we want to have a conversation about this because we have talked about it prior this week before we brought it up um, for the mailbag. Uh I do think, and again, this is meant uh, not in terms of like trying to poo-poo or shut down anybody, but I do think we need to have an honest conversation about pre-drafting um, because I do feel like some of the ways that we talk about pre-drafting or that it has been brought up or I've seen it mentioned in discourse is uh, it just doesn't fully take into account some of the things that I think are important to note with it. Like pre-drafting a guy to me, is not about trying to get a steal. Like, I think it's about, um, you know, actually um, finding a guy who's in a, either a, a poor developmental situation or a guy who you think, um, like, let's say you're the New Orleans Pelicans, you have Fred Vinson and you're like, Andre Jackson could fit in incredibly well here. Like, and you're looking, let's say last year would have been kind of wild to draft Andre Jackson, but let's say this year, like if we view him more as a 2023 guy, like, okay, if we talk to Andre Jackson, we're like, hey, we have a we we traded for a pick. We have like pick 32. We have pick like 29 or something like that. Um, and we wanna we wanna take you there. Okay, it's not that simple. Like we have to look and, and take into account, okay, if you're taking Andre Jackson with pick 29 when he could potentially be a lottery pick next year if things really hit for him, um there's a lot to lose there financially, and not just financially. There is so much that goes into this about team control and what a player is giving up in terms of actual um, actual like um, organizational accountability to a degree. Like um, if you're selecting the lottery, then there's a lot more uh, from a organizational standpoint where they have to they're going like they are committed to putting work into you i think that's the problem that we tend to not recognize like just because a guy gets drafted by an organization if it's a second round pick that i mean that organization might not really i don't want to say they won't give a shit about you but like you're not on their priority board like maybe there's something random where it does happen where you you are but like i mean we've seen okay Najee marshall was an unsigned guy who looked like he could be a potential starter for New Orleans, New Orleans last year to now he's completely riding the bench. And I don't know what that means for him at the end of this year. Like that, that stuff happens just in reality. That is a very like viable thing that could happen. And I do think we have to take into account that there is a very human element to this. That's not as simple as just saying, well, we want to take you here because we could draft you even higher next year. So let's, it's not just a game theory proposition. Like there's a lot more that goes into it than that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a two-sided 
like two people have to shake hands here and we're talking about massive obstacles on both sides. The player, the, like the rebuttal that I've seen, which I get, especially with NIL stuff is why would we're seeing at this point, it's going to be, the list is going to be James Booknight, Jaden Ivey, Matherin, Kyrie Lewis of these sophomores, just in the past couple of years, Halliburton that have gone back to school, improved, taken over the country and made themselves a lot of money just by coming back to school, not to mention the NIL stuff that they could get while they're in school. And so that's when itself is complicated. And then, as you mentioned, the organizational buy-in, it takes a lot. If you're going to, it, it's hard enough to get some organizations to, to invest the proper resources into their first round picks, let alone some guy who's taking the forties. Uh, so this requires a buy-in from the organization that they're going to commit the resources that it even makes sense for them to buy into this proposition. And you need to buy in from the player that says, Hey, I, I'm comfortable with you instead of my college. And I'm going to roll with this, even if it's going to cost me like, second rounders. Yeah. Sometimes you can work out guaranteed deals, but you don't, that's, on, that's between the agent and team. That's like, you're potentially, you're not getting a guaranteed deal. First rounder guaranteed deal. So there are just a lot of obstacles as I think you laid out beautifully that make this thing a little bit more complicated. That's not to say it can't happen, but it is important to contextualize. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, like, it's important. Like I, I think we can look at things and say, okay, uh, this is what I value. And I would take it in the first round. But it's not just that. Like, you have to look at it and say, okay, well, why would this guy be a pre-draft candidate? Like, for me, like, I know somebody who got brought up quite a few times is Alex Fudge, okay? Why is Alex Fudge a pre-draft candidate? Because he has shown very intriguing tools defensively. He's really young. But just being honest, what does he do offensively outside of cut and an occasional cool pass in a set? Not a lot. So like, that's part of why this guy is a pre-draft candidate. And I don't mean that, or or I'm not even going to consider him a pre-draft candidate because he's a guy who I think should go back to LSU, work on his offense and get, come back with a higher featured role next year, which will benefit him. But like, again, I think it's just important to take into account, like some of these things are not entirely what I think are, uh, or what I would, should necessarily be considered pre-drafting. So I want to stay on fudge for a minute because I think he embodies a certain element of this, which is you're not just drafting guys that you think you can get at a higher rate or at a, I mean, you're not getting a guy that's like, Oh, I can get him the second. Now he's going to be lottery pick next year. He's going to come with me. Like we we've already outlined how difficult that is. It's what skills can I, do I need to improve? And is my environment a better place to improve them than LSU? That is, like, that is ultimately what this proposition comes down to. And if we're talking about Alex Fudge needing to improve any sort of, or establish any sort of ball skills, not even improve, establish, like let's get a ground zero of where your ball skills are. Any game off the bounce, a jumper. These are all very difficult things to develop that take a shit ton of reps and a lot and a long leash. To me, his leash will probably be longer at LSU next year than it will be in a G League program where he's battling it out with a million other guys who may or may not get the same developmental attention. I don't know. It seems like the G League is a – like, you could go down the G League rabbit hole and be like, damn, I didn't know that guy was in the G League. Like, they, people get lost down there. And it's not to just say that this whole thing doesn't exist because it's simply not true. And we've said that – I'll say it's on blue in the face. But it's also how realistic is it that my organization can provide a better developmental context for skills X, Y, and Z that we are mutually agreeing need to be developed for this to work for both of us. And Fudge is like a perfect example of, hey, I don't think this is right to me, to me at least. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's the same thing with like John Butler. I know you, you mentioned you haven't seen a ton of John Butler yet, but um, after watching him, like he's very intriguing as clear, uh, like NBA upside and is a guy who is going to be drafted, but like, okay, he's between six eleven and seven two. You never know with Florida state Heights. Um, like, but he weighs like 10 more pounds than I do. And I'm a foot and a half shorter. So like, that's a problem. Like, and I think that's an aspect you have to look at too. Yes, you can um, want to draft him now, but the reality of the fact is even playing at the G League, like that guy's frame is not ready. Like, and I think he's in a perfect place to develop that. Like Florida State gets you physically the fuck ready to play in the NBA. We have not seen a single guy come out. I mean, like even Jonathan Isaac was like fairly decently built coming out. And he had to, I mean, he had to put in a lot, at least compared to where John Butler was at. So it's like, I mean, there's just a lot more that goes into it. And again, that's not meant to come off holier than now, but I do think this is stuff that is important to know. So I'll give two guys to you. One that I think this kind of happened to, and it is an optimal situation. You've seen more than me at the NBA level, so I'm curious what you think of this, applying him to this lens, and John Butler. Like, I don't think John Butler's reps in the G League are valuable. Those aren't about, he's going to get shoved around and pushed now muscled and then just rely on the stuff that he already has, which is touch and his shooting stroke. We're just leaning more into the strengths. We're not really pushing the boundaries here for improvement. Stay in college, go to the weight room, play against college bigs that are already, that are already more physically overwhelming. That's okay. Not, like college isn't the worst place for, for you all the time. I'm going, this is different because you can go to college. Someone like Leandro Bomaro, who was playing on the ball, was good on the ball, and was an absolute menace point of attack defender as a draft prospect, but didn't really have much game off the ball. And if he was going to stay overseas, well, maybe this is like a draft and stash because he'd be playing with the senior team. Maybe he goes off the ball a little bit more, but whatever. In the junior teams he was playing in, he was on the ball all the time. And he was just leaning at this stuff he was good at. He was not fixing his catch and shoot footwork. He was not staying, learning how to stay engaged off the ball. They were just letting him, handing him the rock and letting him rock out. So it was cool. It was fun to watch. Thoroughly enjoyed it. But like that isn't really moving the needle for him development, for, for his development. Take him the late first, throw him in the G League, play him alongside other handlers. That is a more viable situation to me, I think. Where do you stand on that? No, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, and especially too, because even like he hasn't uh, he hasn't been part of the rotation recently, but he played for Minnesota a good chunk during late November, early December. And that was an issue for him. Like he had some real like he was able to run the offense. But as soon as he got off ball, it's like, all right, what's happening? And you yeah. can tell it's going to be a clear point of emphasis for him. But like he has shown like really good flashes. And he's definitely I think he's going to spend more time with the G League if he hasn't already. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, I definitely agree with you. Like he's somebody who would have benefited coming over early and playing in their G league system. So um, we're definitely on brand there. Uh, unless you have anything else you want to hit on, I think we are just about good to wrap up, man. Uh, I don't want to get to every question, but I appreciate everyone who sent them in. Cause this was, uh, this was really fun. Yeah. We'll definitely be doing this again. I had all the questions I want to, but definitely we'll be doing this again. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you guys yeah. for sending in all the questions. Yeah. 100%. Well, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, of course, follow us on Twitter at Tag the Roll, follow Jake at Jake in the Paint, me at M Schindler MBA. Leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We want to hear from you and get your feedback. Shoot us any feedback on Twitter, too. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and most importantly, have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.